Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Feeding the planet's only going to get harder as our climate changes, so how do we do it more efficiently? Improving the yields of our crops like rice will greatly help our ability of our planet to feed itself in a more sustainable way. Especially if we can cut down on herbicide use by making sure we understand the best times to spray, as well as genetically engineering the crops to be more resilient against certain types of diseases. Now feeding the planet is a serious challenge, and feeding the planet sustainably even more so. Rice is one of those crops that actually is responsible for feeding a large portion of the globe, and annually around 700 million tonnes of rice is actually produced. Now finding a way to make this rice that's produced more hardy, more resilient to diseases from fungal infections or from other sources, or making it resistant to predators that would come to chow down on it, will greatly improve what farmers and scientists call the yield, the quality of the grain. Now if you think about yield and quality, if you grow a crop, let's say you grow a large crop, if you imagine a certain type of fungus could come through and devastate your crop, such as rice blast disease. Now, rice blast disease is caused by a certain type of fungus called the Magnaporthy oisea, and what it actually does is create lesions on the rice plants. And overall, that just drops the amount of rice produced by the plant, and any rice that is produced is really bad. Now, enough of this disease can cause, well, up to a third of the total rice harvest globally a year to be lost. That's a huge amount. It's more than enough to feed 60 million people on rice alone for a year. That's a large volume of food that at the moment is just being taken out by potentially one fungus. So farmers have been looking at ways to ward off the fungus, but nothing is really super sustainable. Mostly because fungicides can potentially be quite damaging to the environment and not only damage the plant themselves or plants around them, other crops, they can also spread across to other areas further downstream through water runoff. And so scientists were really trying to find a sustainable way to ward off this particular fungus. The other problem is with genetic engineering. Now, genetic engineering is incredibly useful. And in the past, the genetic engineering of rice has helped literally enable countries like China and India to feed themselves with their 1 billion plus population with a small amount of land. And that's been a great success. But the problem with splicing in new genes, aside from being difficult, is there's a phenomenon called linkage drag. Now, when you splice in one gene, say something to ward off a certain type of bug or a resistance to a certain type of disease from one species of plant into another, or maybe from an insect, you can often transfer along undesired genes along with it. And that makes it really difficult for the breeders who are breeding different varieties of rice to find one that gets that disease resistance, but still doesn't deteriorate the rest of the other qualities, maybe by introducing uh, vulnerability to another disease or reducing yield. So by using gene editing technologies like CRISPR, we're able to more precisely insert rice genes into plants, but it still makes it a quite a difficult process because you need to find exactly the specific gene to be engineered and figure out a way to splice that in. So all of these things go to show that actually splicing and improving rice is, even with modern technology, quite difficult. But it's something that we've been doing for thousands of years, as with all crops, where we breed them and try to make the species better and find a nice 
product with good yield. Now, what they've been looking at in particular at the moment is trying to understand how exactly this rice blast fungus works. Now, when the rice blast fungus gets into a cell, it deploys a multitude of proteins inside the rice cells. So the rice realizes this, and they've actually figured out different encoding nucleotide binding leucine-rich repeat proteins, which the scientists call NLRs. They're basically part of the immune response, and their job is to lure in these rice blast fungus proteins. And once the rice blast fungus protein finds one of these bait, the NLRs, they bind to it, and then sneakily initiate the cell death path by triggering the right signaling pathways on the fungal cell. And that's pretty amazing. Basically, the rice immune system deploys these baits, scatters these NLR baits across the area of the rice cell, and eventually, hopefully, the fungal spores bind to them and then get killed. And then the cells die. So overall, like the whole cell of that rice cell dies, but it, it dies in a very localized area. So the rest of the plant is able to survive. One of the researchers involved in this, Mark Bainfield, a professor in the group leader of the John Innes Center in Norwich, England, and says it's almost like sacrificing your finger to save the rest of your body. And it's not a bad analogy. A lot of immune responses are like that, sacrificing a few cells for the sake of keeping the plant healthy. So the researchers sought to see if there was a way to find a way to improve this cell triggering and cell death method. But the problem is the fungal blast spores actually release a lot of different proteins and typically these NLRs only really bind to one specific type. Thinking about it another way, the infection, the, the fungal spores come in and they're all different types and different colors and shapes but the bait is only one type of shape so they only really fit with one type of protein. So in order to make your immune response better well you need to be able to have a more universal immune response. And that's what they were looking at using a couple of different type of NLRs. They modeled this in tobacco first because like we use mice models in microbiology and other biological studies, for plants we often use tobacco because it's quick and easy to grow and is a nice model. And what they found is they identified a specific type of, of these bait binding cells or these NLRs called AVR-PIC. Now this PIC-P triggered cell death in response to AVR-PIC, the fungal spore protein, but they also managed to trigger a response to another type of protein, AVRPR. And when they looked at that particular type of cell using X-ray crystallography, they noticed that the actual NLR, the rice NLR, this bait cell, actually had two separate docking sites, two shapes suitable for the two different types of invading infectious fungal spores, AVRPR and AVRPR. What that means is that PICP, this particular NLR, is actually really good at handling two types of infection proteins, which is pretty incredible to think about. It's not quite universal, can't handle all of them, but it's two times better than handling just one. And that's an idea, given the researchers an idea to find other NLRs that can handle different types of proteins and then also bundle them together to make a pretty useful gene that could be spliced in. And if you can make the rice cells only produce some of these more universal or double acting NLRs, then their immune system will be a lot, lot better. So instead of only taking out some of the proteins, 
it could take out all of them. That would, in the arms race between infection and immune system response, greatly tip the hand in favor of the immune system response. Now, detailed gene editing techniques like this are very, very complicated and need to be understood in more detail. As we mentioned before, you don't want to splice in an unwanted gene along the way. But this is a great, really targeted way to boost the immune system of rice and potentially generate much greater yields. More yields means more people on the planet fed, but it also means less harmful fungicides being used to ward off this disease. And that means less damage to our environments and the surrounding ecosystems. So all in all, developing new species and new variants of rice that are more hardy and disease resistant sometimes involves some pretty detailed chemistry and some pretty clever thinking, but will enable our planet to more sustainably feed itself. Now this paper was published in the American Journal of Biological Chemistry and authors on this paper include Freya Varden, Hiromasa Saito, Kai Yoshino, Marianina Farenstetti, Sophie Cameron and Riho Tarachu. Now, if you've traveled on a plane or crossed a time zone, you'll be familiar with the experience of jet lag. Sometimes if you're in your own place, maybe you've changed from daylight savings to non-daylight savings time and everything just seems a little bit off. Well, that's because you have a biological clock that keeps ticking and is what your body is expecting to do at certain hours, sleeping at some, being awake at others. And a whole bunch of internal processes inside of you change. You produce more of certain types of proteins and chemicals inside your body at some times and less at others. Some periods you're expecting to rest so your body starts to slow down the responses in some areas and when you're active speed up it in other times. Now that is a well understood concept but these researchers from the University of Bristol have recently published a paper in Nature Communications outlining a crucial idea that just like humans and other animals have biological clocks, plants also have a circadian rhythm, a biological clock, and that's ticking away inside of them. And understanding how this circadian rhythm works inside these plants could enable an application of chronotherapy. Now, chronotherapy is where, when humans or animals, we try and time certain treatments to make sure we have the best response of our bodies at that particular time. Treatment at a time, hence chronotherapy. Now, you could apply the same thing to plants. But in particular, not so much into trying to keep the plants healthy, but trying to cut down on certain types of weeds. And that's exactly what these researchers were looking at. The ways and the best times to apply pesticides. Now, we need to understand a little bit about the way pesticides are applied at the moment. Because we know that herbicides help increase crop yields because they get rid of weeds and they make it easier to harvest them. Now, Glyphosate is actually the most commonly used herbicide active ingredient in the market. Farmers spend around $11 billion annually on glyphosate-containing products, and it's using an awful large amount, 8.6 billion kilograms of it each year. The problem is, you also need to decide when and how to spray this, because the effectiveness of glyphosate can actually really depend upon the time of day of the spraying. 
And these researchers actually went out there to try and prove that. Now, it's been known for some time that depending on when you spray, the herbicide seems to be more effective. But the mechanism for that happening wasn't really well understood. Now, these researchers basically took this concept and tried to figure out a way to measure and track the response of the plants dealing with this glyphosate. So first, they sat down and tried to study the rhythms of the plants in a cells and plants as well as weeds. And what they saw is there was a daily circadian rhythm in the inhibition of plant development. And that can get tweaked or adjusted by glyphosate. And it all depends on how those plant cells are actually interacting chemically with the different signals that come through from this chemical being exposed to them. Now, for example, they noticed that a circadian clock, basically the internal rhythm of the plant, morning and the evenings, actually had a certain timing for when the glyphosate would be sucked in. And once the glyphosate, of course, was sucked in, it would lead to cell death in the plant. It's a herbicide, right? So it's killing off the, the weed. But the glyphosate would be sucked in more, especially when it was applied at dawn, rather than earlier or later in the day. Herbicides applied later in the day, well, they were effective, but not as effective as that time right at dawn. Because due to the circadian rhythm of the plant, all those herbicides were sucked right in and it triggered a big cascading cell death. So the greatest response in killing off these weeds was seen by spraying in the morning. So if you want to keep your crops healthy and you have to spray herbicides on them, it's best to do so, particularly if you're using glyphosate, by spraying at dawn, because that's when the weeds response is going to be at its strongest and it will draw in as much of this as possible and that will kill off the weed faster and more effectively. Ultimately, that means you need to use less herbicide if you spray it at the right time. There's some great research coming out of the University of Bristol that helps make sure that if we do use chemicals in our farming to keep our crops healthy, we do it by knowing the movements and the circadian rhythms of both the plants and the weeds we're trying to kill off. And taking that into consideration can lead to much more effective and much more efficient treatments, which overall means much more yield from those crops and more food to feed the planet. Less pesticides used as well, which means the climate impact of the herbicide use is also reduced. There's some great research from the University of Bristol published in the journal Nature Community. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From specially genetically engineered rice that can trick invading fungal spores with two types of bait and the right time to spray with herbicides. All this week, we found out the science of improving food yield. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.